MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, warmer from the low. Welcome to Lobby Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. And you've got a great podcast for you. We do have to talk about something not so great here in segment number one. We're going to take a look at the news and notes that we saw in college basketball on Friday, including the fact that the NIT is going to be changing a little bit. I recorded my interview that I'm going to be doing in segment number two with Rocco Miller, who does great work as the bracketeer himself over at bracketeer.org. Prior to us knowing that the NIT was going to be making these changes, but certainly all of my thoughts here in segment number one before we do bring on the aforementioned wonderful Rocco. He does an amazing job. Take a look at college basketball scheduling. On top of that, he is putting together his preseason bracketology, which for those of you that know bracketology, oftentimes these bracketologists they have to go by what the committee is outlining, what they're feeling with regards to the uh, top 16 that you see unveiled every February. They have to put themselves in that mindset. This is where bracketologists like Rocco get to freelance a little bit. So we're going to be talking with him about some of the teams that he is bullish on coming into the year. He also was actually coming at me from Santa Clara practice. Santa Clara took down UCLA in a little bit of a scrimmage earlier in the week. So we're going to be talking about that. What can we expect? out of both Santa Clara and UCLA. We're also going to be talking about what should we be making out of some of these scrimmage results. Are they something that we can put a lot of sock into, a little sock into? Are there some key highlights to take away from these scrimmages as well? So we're going to be diving in on that front, talking a little bit about the WCC. And on top of that, in regards to the Pac-12, we did see Jalen Tyson not get a waiver for Cal as well. So we're going to be talking on that front with Rocco in segment number two. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever, before this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, literacy, maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. And let's take a look at what we got in college basketball on Friday as the biggest one is the changes in the NIT. I'm not going to make this super duper long. I can get into it in a little bit more depth, but we're going to give you guys a skinny on this. There is going to be no more automatic bids for teams that win the regular season but get knocked out of the conference tournament. Like, you'll see it year in and year out. A team like Alcorn State, for example, they won the SWAC. They didn't win their conference tournament, which meant that they were not going to the NCAA tournament. They would automatically get some sort of bid to the NIT. Typically, they would be in eight seed, something of that nature, and 
Ah, oh, man, this just stinks. Because for those of you that bet the NIT every year, you know exactly what the NIT is good for. These underdog teams, like an Alcorn State, like a Hofstra, you go down the list. These mid-majors that they win their conference regular season title, they get knocked out in the conference tournament, they are all sorts of fired up. They are lubed up for the NIT. They are absolutely loving it. And then you get some at-large team like a Clemson or something like that that they sleepwalk into the NIT. You're going to get good amount of points with regards to that underdog, and boom, you cash every single time. I mean, it is always one of my most profitable tournaments of the year because every single time, these underdogs that get the at-large bids that are being taken away, they always cash for you. So I'm not just salty for these little guys. I'm salty for my bankroll. This stinks. This absolutely stinks. There are people out there saying, hashtag boycott the NIT, and I'm right there with them. They took money out of my pocket for one because now you have to try to gauge motivation a little bit more. It's going to become what college bowls are because with some of those college bowls where you get like a pair of six and six teams, you have absolutely no idea whatsoever what you're going to get. I have a feeling that is coming to college basketball, whereas when you had those seven, eight seeds, yeah, the one and two seeds might be sitting out, guys, but guess who's not sitting out, guys? Alcorn State. Guess who's not sitting out, guys? Hofstra. So this absolutely stinks. Reward these mid-major conferences. Instead, right now, it is going to be 12 automatic bids for the top two net teams from the Power 6 conferences that don't make the NCAA tournament because we really need to see team number 10 from the Big 10 in the NIT, and then you get 20 at-larges. Boo! Boo! Stupid! Not good. Hopefully, the NIT, they get away from this as quickly as humanly possible. Hopefully, this is not permanent. I am sure that it is, but I'm sad. Many major college basketball fans are sad. This stinks. We will be taking our services to the CBI. If they bring back the Vegas 16, that would be absolutely tremendous as well. So, that's not a great piece of news, and that's probably one of the saddest things I have reported all offseason long, and I do this as I talk about players that have slash have not gotten waivers, and in terms of the waiver front, we actually did get a little bit of good news as Joseph Metter, hopefully I said that correctly, he has received a waiver to be able to play this season. That is going to be absolutely tremendous. He comes over from UTSA, meet meet for the Roadrunners, and by the way, I always say his name wrong, so I apologize, but with Metter, last year he was able to register about 13.7 points per game. Now, do note, with Metter, he was not a two-time transfer, but apparently it was one of those circumstances where he needed to apply for the waiver because of academics, something along those lines. I don't know exactly what the academics were, but I mean, this guy was pretty awesome at UTSA. TSA, along with his 13.5 points per game, 3.8 assists per contest, only shot about 31% from three-point range, but he's going to be a focal part of a Fordham team that I think is going to be good this year. With Fordham, they did lose some pieces from the backcourt, including a guy in Darius Quinzenberry who had been in college basketball for seemingly 100 million billion years, but you bring back Antrell Charlton, a 6'5 sad sheet stuffer. Kyle Rose is back in the backcourt as well, and you've got Abdul Sambilia who's going to be able to do a nice job down low, so I do think that this team is still going to be in good shape. I am a little bit sad that Reed Norkowski is going to be out of the fold, but all in all, I do take a look at this lineup. If they're able to get a little bit more out of someone like a Josh Rivera as a six foot seven, a little bit of a do-it-all sort of player in his own right, I do think that there is plenty of upside for this Fordham Rams team. And then another injury that I am monitoring right now is Alabama's Mark Sears. 
He was out of a scrimmage last week, and for the Sunday charity against Wake Forest, he is going to be out of the fold once again. He is dealing with a groin issue. Last year, averaged 12.5 points per game, and those remember what he was able to do at Ohio two years ago. He was really a lightning rod scorer, was able to dole out nearly four assists per contest while he was over there, so that is something to be mindful of. And Judah Mintz, he also was held out of a Friday scrimmage as well. This one, it doesn't appear as though there's as much of an injury with. Apparently, he's dealing with a little bit of a lower body injury, but it seems as though it's pretty mild. The university just didn't want to trot him out there when they really did not need him to roll the dice. Sounds like he probably should be good for that game against New Hampshire to start the season, but that is going to be another one that I'm going to be monitoring. And I did want to throw out there one other thing as well, because I know that some of you out there with regards to Twitter slash X were coming at me with regards to perhaps betting on some of these scrimmages. I know that one of my good friends, Jason Weingarten, he decided that he was going to be taking a shot with Georgetown College, which it was not Georgetown Hoyas, by the way. It's a Georgetown in the great state of Kentucky. He took them live at a scrimmage against Kentucky. He was catching like 29 and a half points, and I will not be giving you guys plays with regards to these scrimmages. It's something that I've been talking about quite a bit on this podcast. With regards to these scrimmage results, everything is made up and the points don't matter. You just don't know the motivation of these coaches. When it comes to night number one, we are going to be all gassed up. No worries there. Night one, we are all good to go. You're going to be getting picks. You're going to be getting analysis. These teams are going to be going full bore in these charity scrimmages. In regards to these secret scrimmages, you might be able to find a few straight lines out there. I am not going to be getting involved because it's much like the NFL preseason. And if you don't really have a lot of coaches' comments going into the preseason and you don't know the rotations, which... Typically, we don't know the rotations with regards to these college basketball scrimmages. You have absolutely no idea what you are betting on. So, did want to give you guys that little bit of a note as well in case if you were wondering on that front. But certainly, when it comes to college basketball opening night, we are going to be set for that. It is going to be going down November 6th, a little bit more than a week from now. And a man that is fired up for it, much like myself, that would be Rocco Miller. Coming up next, he is going to be coming at me from Santa Clara practice. We're going to be taking a look at the Broncos. We're going to be taking a look at the WCC teams that he's feeling bullish on coming into the year and so much more right here on Cuscus with myself, David Peterson, now a part of Decent Family Podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. 
So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. Vegas, but that's with myself, Greg Peterson. Now, part of the Visa Family Podcast, it is always great to be joined by this man. As we've got aboard Rocco Miller, you know him better as a bracketeer himself over at bracketeer.org, doing an amazing job taking a look at the great game of college basketball. He's been keeping us straight with all of these schedules all season long. As we saw some unveil very early on in the summer, and we saw some unveiled like days ago. That's the way that college basketball goes sometimes. But Rocco does a great job of being able to 
cross all the T's and dot all the I's that we need for a great college basketball season in your elbow. Follow him on Twitter slash X at Rocco Miller, the number eight all together in Rocco. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Greg, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. How are you today? What's been going on? What's been going on with me is just preparing for what is going to be a tremendous college basketball season. And I know you've got a little bit more going on because you're taking this call while you're over at Santa Clara's practice. So first things first, you've been able to take a look at Santa Clara up close and in person today. What have you been noticing out of them? Because something that was very striking about these scrimmage results that we've seen over the past week was Santa Clara being able to get a win over UCLA. Yeah, you know, in the scrimmage results in general, I would just caution everybody to take them with a grain of salt. But I do think you can learn little things here and there, you know, especially if you get the full box score, because at least when you see a full box score, you can see the turnover ratio, the shooting numbers. You can get to start to get a feel for, you know, how some of these certain players are developing. Guys that have been around a while, fourth, fifth year guys, I'm less concerned about unless they're you know transferring in, which a lot of these guys are, just to kind of see how they mesh. But you can't really figure that out from a box score or from a final score in a scrimmage. But I do think just because it is UCLA, the game was played at UCLA, and Santa Clara, by most accounts, is a team that was picked fifth in the WCC. So for them to go down there and beat them by double digits, I think it raised a lot of eyebrows. Certainly, it's a team I'm always going to be interested in as a regional team for me, but that definitely gave me some extra motivation to get down here today and take in practice. And so what I'm seeing with this team is a very mature team, an older team, you can tell by the projected rotation. It's pretty much all juniors, seniors, and fifth-year players, with the exception of Christoph Tilly and a couple maybe deeper bench redshirt freshmen. But I like a lot what I'm seeing out of Santa Clara just in terms of their attention to detail, their focus, and their athletic ability is still almost, if not the same level as it was last year with Podzemensky and the team and the year before with Jalen Williams and that great team. You know, I'm very intrigued by what Santa Clara can achieve. The other thing they did so well, which I've talked about a bunch, is giving themselves tons of opportunities in non-conference play to build a resume. I think because they are starting with an old team, they've got a chance to knock some teams off in November, kind of like they proved, you know, early on here with that scrimmage result. Yes, with Santa Clara, I do think that they are going to be such an interesting team this year. As joining me on the show, we do have Rocco Miller. He does great work over at his website, bracketeer.org. And I am right there with you. I do think that with scrimmage results, you don't want to be taking too much from the actual final score. But what did you make out of the fact that with that scrimmage, it was a low-scoring scrimmage because neither team got to 65 points. As we know, UCLA last year was a little bit of a slower-tempo team. Meanwhile, Santa Clara was a little bit more of an up-tempo team, and I do think that the context of these scrimmages is very important because I did take a look at that scrimmage, and it does lead me to believe that a team in Santa Clara that was quite up-tempo last year might be looking to play a little bit more slowly this year. Yeah, it really depends on how you want to take in the information. I think if you look at it from the UCLA perspective, it's pretty easy to say, you know, Adam Bona, he was precautionary, held out of the game. He's back in practice this week, I've been told. So I don't think there's any concerns with him. There are a couple eligibility issues for both Adai Mara, their big star, seven foot three, international sensation as well as Berkey, the Turkish sensation, a potential starter for UCLA. So three really key players not playing. I also found out another UCLA player may have been injured in the game. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be public about who it was. So a lot of excuses built in there for why UCLA didn't play as well. Just the very natural fact that UCLA is a much younger team this year and a lot of new pieces. But I do want to say from Santa Clara's perspective, the fact that it was low scoring you know, shows 
that maybe with this team this year, they will be able to be a little bit more defensive. There are three seven-footers on the roster. Two of them are certainly going to play important roles with Tilly and Cafaro coming over from Virginia. And then one guy that nobody's really talking about, he wasn't even listed in the Almanac as a freshman out of Texas, seven-foot-one kid, Oboye. Just watching him here in practice, I mean, there might be a role for him, especially if anything happens to the top two players at the seven-foot spot. So the fact that Santa Clara's got three seven-footers, and then you bring in Johnny O'Neill from American He's a guy that looks really, really solid, fundamentally sound. He's been killing it in practice. They also have Adamo Ball from Arizona here who really upgrades that athletic talent level. There's a lot of nice pieces here at Santa Clara. It's just really going to come down to how many of those non-conference games they can win. And they've got a lot of good chances, like I said earlier. And then, you know, I think in league play, between the four games where they're going to play Gonzaga and St. Mary's, you got to get one, maybe two of those four. And then, of course, playing against the LMUs and the San Francisco, I think those three teams are all fighting for third in the pecking order. And when they play each other, you know, if one of the three can run away with some dominance, it'll move the needle from a tournament chances perspective. Yep, I think so as well. For an NCAA tournament perspective, that would be absolutely massive. As joining me on the show, we do have Rocco Miller, who does great work over at Bracketeer.org. And how do you take a look at the WCC this year? Because obviously, Gonzaga is a favorite. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. But I do think that with regards to the difference between Gonzaga and St. Mary's talent-wise, it's as slim as it's been in a very, very long time. I like their upside. We were just getting the talk about Santa Clara, and there's another team I like in Loyola Marymount that I think could be a rise up, and even San Francisco. Now, I do think that it might be a little bit tough for them towards the beginning part of the season. They did lose quite a bit of their backcourt, bringing in someone like Mongolian Mike over from Dayton. I think they've got some real upside as well. So I take a look at this conference with five real teams that I think can be bona fide like top 70, top 75 teams when it's all said and done. That will be critical, you know, because some of the models right now have the trio of Santa Clara, San Francisco, and Loyola Marymount in that 100 range. And that makes a huge difference if they're in the top 75 because if you have five teams in the top 75, then those wins really start to matter even more as the conference starts to take shape. The non-conference, of course, shapes what the conference will look like in January. I agree with you at the top. If you look at it logically, Greg, just from a logical point of view, the Gonzaga Bulldogs and the St. Mary's Gales, on paper, they should run through the league and uh, play each other once in each other's home, probably split those two games. There's probably a really good chance that we're going to see a co-championship once again, which is what we saw last year. The caveat a year ago was Loyola Marymount actually beat both of those teams once. So they still ended up tied with two losses apiece. It's really hard to project that happening again, but it's very easy to project those two teams tying at the top. So it really will come down to a crazy tiebreaker if that happens for the number one seed in the WCC tournament. But those are the clear top two. You know, the thing I'm trying to decipher is, you know, Santa Clara's got an old team. I think Loyola Marymount might be arguably older. Their top 10 players are all redshirt juniors or older. Some of them in their fifth year now with guys like Justice Hill and Kelly Lupepe, you know, Lars Diemen coming over from Cal is also a, a fifth year guy. They've just got a ton of age, even more so than Santa Clara. The San Francisco might be a tad younger, but they still have plenty of experience. I got to see them practice a week ago, and I think the Don's offense is going to rock. A lot of really good scores. Mongolia Mike coming over from Dayton really can fill it up. Marcus Williams, you know, he had a great end of last year with 10 really solid games to end the year. He's now the vocal point as the new point guard running the show, taking over for Khalil Shabazz and Ty Roberts. And then the rest of the team is just bigger and more athletic. Pretty much everybody except for Jonathan Mogbo, 
who's a more balanced player and probably their best defender, is a really offensive player. And so the, I don't think the Dons are going to have any trouble scoring the ball. They really are locked in now on how to uptick their defense. If they can do that, I think they'll have a special season as well. I think there's a lot to be excited about for those top five. I also think Portland with Tyler Robertson back, Chris Austin returns from a really tough injury last year. They've got some pieces to take a jump forward. And for me, they're the clear number six. I think the real challenge with the league is between Pacific, Pepperdine, and San Diego, they could all take a step back versus what they had before. And of course, Pepperdine and San Diego have been really down and that starts to drag the league down. So it's going to be really important for those top five or six to not slip up against any of those bottom three teams. And we both know that Pacific, you know, they'll fight everybody. They're kind of destined to knock off a team or two in the top. And to your point about Portland, they were just snake bit by the injury bug last season. So if they're able to get a clean bill of health, if they're able to have just all their guys stay out there on the floor, I like what Shante Leggins is able to do as a coach. And I do think that there's some tremendous upside there. And there is some tremendous upside with this team as well. As we're going to stay out there in the western part of the country, but got to take a look at a team as currently in the Pac-12. Won't be next year, but that said with Cal. We saw them take a really rough blow on Thursday with Jalen Tyson being denied his waiver to be able to play. He was a rock-solid player at Texas Tech last year, right around 10.5 points, six or so rebounds per contest. And certainly, I think that Cal is going to be better than the three-win team from last year. You could take even Fardos Amick off that roster, which they are certainly going to have him. And I still think that they're going to be much better than that. I still think that the work that is being done to be, to be able to turn around this program has been very good. But what did you make out of that news on Thursday? Because it does sort of have me a little bit more out on Cal really being able to make seismic noise in the Pac-12 this year because I did think that Tyson was going to be a big part of it. And it's just what we're seeing this year. These two-time transfers, by and large, are getting denied these waivers. Up to here, you had to assume it was going to happen based on what the NCAA's precedent is for two-time undergrad transfers. I was just talking to a couple NBA scouts, actually, that have been at Cal practices raving about how Tyson looks not only as a great Pac-12 player, but a potential pro in the not-too-distant future. So it's really tough to see a guy that talented not only come to a program that's part of an awesome rebuild overnight with Coach Madsen, but also just miss a whole year of his career just due to some unfortunate rules that might not last very long in future seasons. He's just wrong place, wrong time, I guess you could say. I do think they're still pretty improved. Jalen Cohn can shoot the lights out. The Fardaz Amac is a great college player. Those two guys alone upgrade the talent by themselves. You also have Keontae Kennedy and Grant Newell, Celestine and Askew still there. I still like their top five or six guys in the rotation. They're really going to need kind of one of the unknowns. Most of those guys are freshmen. There's a couple returners in Bowser and Okafor. Really don't know a ton about their game, but they'll need those guys to be a solid seven, eight, nine to complete the rotation. Otherwise, I just don't think Cal's very deep, but I really still like their starting five or six guys. So they're going to compete. They'll still be able to knock off some team, but I was willing to put them all the way up to seventh in my projection if Tyson somehow was able to play. So that definitely does make a difference. I think now they're probably closer to 10th or 11th. I still think they're going to surprise some people. Yeah, but I still personally have them over a school like Oregon State. No offense, Oregon State, but that's a relatively rough roster. And I do think that it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for Mark Madsen and company, but he's a tremendous coach. He still has brought in a lot of good talent and all in all, the arrow is still pointing upward for Cal, but that was quite unfortunate to see on Thursday, to say the least. As Marco Miller joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops does amazing work over at Bracketeer.org. And 
over at bracketeer.org. Rocco, I know you're working on preseason projections. I know you're hard at work with regards to your preseason bracketology because I know that you've alluded to this a few times on the podcast. Now is when you're able to have a little bit more of your opinion rather than just trying to put your mindset into what the committee is going to be doing as a whole. These are really your projections. And as you're filling out your bracketology, as you're taking a look at some of these conference previews, as you've been doing your deep dives, are there a few teams in general that as you've been going in, you're feeling either a little bit more bullish or a little bit more bearish on coming into the season? At the very top, Greg, I think I'm probably more bullish on Villanova than most. I've noticed a lot of folks unwilling to put them above Creighton, Marquette, or UConn. For me, Villanova and Creighton are my 1A and 1B. I think Marquette's still going to be excellent, but I have them third just because Omax did so much for them. Even though he's only one player, he was just a really key ingredient. And I don't think they're going to get that level with his replacement. You know, it really comes down to Neptune's coaching on the Villanova forecast. But if you look at their starting five or even their full rotation, it's a super, super impressive rotation. I know TJ Bamba very well from Washington State. And his season last year, if you look at his game-by-game breakdown, he just constantly got better and better and better. Arguably the best player on Washington State last year. You get a guy like Burton from Richmond who's played in the NCAA tournament, who's been a leader, who's been an all-Atlantic 10 player, and you just sprinkle him in. You got Justin Moore. I mean, that is a loaded, loaded team at Villanova. Unless there's just some major mistakes. I have them sixth in the country as a solid two seed in the preseason. And again, I'm just looking at what everybody else has got. I seem to be pretty high on, on the Wildcats. Going a little bit lower on the totem pole, you know, I think I'm also pretty bullish on the New Mexico Lobos. Now, again, I've had the opportunity to speak with Jeff Grammer, their amazing beat writer there in Albuquerque. I've talked to a few people at the program. I know with Nelly Jr. Joseph just getting into Albuquerque from Nigeria last night, that alleviated some of my concerns. I just think with what House and Mashburn already bring to the table, supremely talented and they go so fast, they can create a lot of advantages with that offense. You also bring in Mushila from Corpus Christi, arguably their best player. He's got NCAA tournament experience. The fact that he's not counted on to even be a starter, he's just a role player off the bench. You know, you've got guys like Jamarl Baker, who's played a million college basketball games. I think they did all the right things for their particular roster. Not only make sure they're a tournament team, I think they've got a chance to win the Mountain West. They're penciled in for me as a co-champion, and I am projecting them to win the Mountain West tournament as the automatic qualifier out of that conference. So I think that might be a little bit surprising. I guess the last one I'll go with is in the Atlantic 10. I know Dayton's got the most talent, and I get that's why they're getting picked by the majority of people for the polls or forecasts, whatever the case may be. I just can't lay my hat on them because I think they've been picked to win it the last three or four years ever since the great 2020 team, and none of those years they won it. So why should I believe they're going to win it this year when it seems like the A-10 is more wide open than ever. It's really hard to settle on a team, but I do like the makeup of this St. Bonaventure Bonnie's team. You know, not to take much from the scrimmage, but I was very impressed that they were able to have such a great performance in that scrimmage game. I think they won by 22 points. Take it with a grain of salt, but they're an older team. They have a proven coach. So that might surprise some people when they see St. Bonaventure in my preseason bracket. I really like St. Bonaventure coming into the year as well. I'm not sure if I'll be personally able to put them above Dayton, but I certainly have them in my top three. Keep in mind, With St. Bonaventure, they've lost 99.9% of their scoring coming into last year. They return much of that this year. They bring in a few nice transfers to be able to help out with that returning scoring as well. I really think that Dr. Schmidt does a tremendous job. So I'm right there with you. And 
another person that does an absolutely tremendous job, is you, Rocco. You've done a great job keeping us straight with these schedules all offseason long. At long last, the college basketball season is a little bit over a week away from getting started. I know that you're pumped up for it, so let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. Yeah, you can follow me at RoccoMiller8 on X slash Twitter. My website, Bracketeer.org, as Greg has said a few times here on the show. Best place to just follow along every day, especially when the season starts. It's just going to be a lot of information coming your way. Anything I'm hearing or anything I'm seeing, you know, just love sharing that. And then, you know, pick up on other people saying and sharing valuable items as we go through the season. In terms of, you know, my schedule, I will be covering the Myrtle Beach Invitational. My first time out there. Really excited about that. I'm only out there for the first two days, but that will be great. Get to see those eight teams play twice. Fun field of Vermont, Charleston, St. Louis, Wyoming, Coastal Carolina, Liberty, Furman. One other team is slipping me, but should be a fun. Oh, Wichita State is the eighth. And so that will be a fun eight-team field. Chance to really cover some different teams that I usually don't get to see. From there, you know, opening week, I mean, I you know, I could be anywhere, Greg. You know how I am. But I will be also at the opening day of the SoCal Challenge, which is two weeks from the opening Monday. And that should be really interesting as well, as the main bracket has that California team we just talked about paired with UTEP, Tulane, and Bradley. You know, Tulane and Bradley, two very interesting sleeper teams in the mid-major ranks looking to make some major moves this year. Bradley, of course, won the Missouri Valley Championship last year in the regular season. So quality, quality stuff. Looking for good teams to always talk about that not enough people are talking about. So I think those two tournaments fit my model pretty well. Absolutely. And I do think that it is going to be a tremendous year. Rocco is going to be all around the country covering this college basketball game that we all know and love. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends tremendous insights. And it is always very much appreciated. A big thanks to Rocco for joining me right here on Cuscus now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have before this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be out for those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNRS41. Keep in mind, there's the M. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like here on this podcast. Find that five star review. We are officially nine days away from the start of the college basketball season. It is ever so glorious. If you guys missed my conference previews, I've done all 32 conferences with a specialized podcast. They're all labeled accordingly. So if you're on Google Play, if you're on Apple Podcasts, what have you, just scroll down when you see the conference that you're looking for. We've got you guys all covered there. And once we're in season, you're getting picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. Here in the final few days of the offseason, just looking at the injury front, taking a look at teams that might be a little bit shorthanded for opening night. I want to make this the best opening night ever. I want to make this the most profitable and most fun college basketball year ever. So I'll be with you guys every single day on this podcast. I appreciate you tuning in today. And I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.